Attention Hafu fans. So, would you like to see your likeness featured in the upcoming Hafu Book 2? Well, here's what you got to do. Go online right now and purchase your copy of Hafu Graphic Novel for only $9.99 plus shipping and handling at showmecomics.com slash Hafu. And on December 20th at our Facebook page for Hafu Graphic Novel, we'll be holding a trivia contest. So if you have purchased a copy at a comic book convention or online, or if you haven't yet, get your copy now. Read it up. Memorize all the answers, and on December 20th, come take our trivia challenge. On Christmas Day, we will be holding a drawing. The first place winner will actually receive a grand prize award of having their likeness drawn into the second Hafu book, and they'll get their own copy of the book for free, autographed by the creators. For second place, we will actually have three runner-up winners that get a free copy of the book autographed by the creators with a sketch inside and for five third place winners they will receive a sketch done by hafu artist sam richardson so if you haven't bought your copy yet go to showmecomics.com slash hafu now brush up on your trivia memorize everything in that book and be ready to take our contest on december 20th this episode of the Show Me Comicast is brought to you by Audible.com. Visit www.audibletrial.com slash showmecomics to start your 30-day free trial and download your free audio book. Season 1, episode... 17! You're listening to the Show Me Comicast. I'm Tim Pickerel, digital media producer for Show Me Comics. And I'm Jordan Taylor. I'm the writer for ShowMeComics.com. Or am I? Do I really, behind the scenes, give you blogs and comic scripts at ShowMeComics.com? Or am I just a big poser? <laughs> or way over the top, Super Barnum and Bailey style? Who knows? And I'm Sam Richardson, artist, illustrator, colorist... And marketing director of Hafu Graphic Novel. So make sure if you haven't got your copy yet, go to showmecomics.com slash Hafu and buy your copy today. So he says, all could be a mirage. <laughs> so we're here today. Uh, we wanted to tackle a subject that I find myself as a person that writes comics, but also that reads comics, but wasn't particularly raised on comics. To kind of wonder about is... When do you apply realism to your comics, and when do you say, hey, comics are comics? I mean, there's a certain wonder and a great thing that comics can do that other mediums can't. Where do you draw that line saying, yeah, this person can just take off into the sky? Or, hey, this person has to have an anti-gravity deflector shield that pushes them into the sky, and then they're able to fly, but only when they have that shield on their costume. And if they don't have that shield on their costume, then they can't. You know, those kind of things. I mean, where do you inject realism? Is there even a place for realism in comics? And when I was tackling this issue, I actually did an internet search and I got a very interesting clip from Grant Morrison who is a famous comic author and very well respected and also an artist in his own right and he kind of off the cuff said this to somebody who was asking about a realistic question. I'm loving Dick Grayson as Batman and especially Damien as Robin. Fantastic. Uh, my question, I hope, is easy. I'm just curious, how old is Bruce Wayne and Tim Drake and these characters? Cause I can't figure it out. I don't know. You got, it doesn't matter. Right? You must understand it. <laughs> these people aren't real, okay? <laughs> and, like, well, Batman's, like, a mythical figure. I'm, 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 I'm being funny, but I'm not being funny because they, they, they don't live in the real world. Right? And I've got, this, I've got this interesting theory that I've been developing. You know how they always say about kids... Kids can't tell the difference between fantasy and reality. And that's actually bullshit. You know, any kid, if a kid's watching The Little Mermaid, the kid knows that those crabs that are talking are nothing like the crabs on the beach that don't talk. A kid really knows the difference. Then you go to an adult, and adults cannot tell the difference between fantasy and reality because, you you know, you bring them fantasy, and the first thing they say is, how did he get that way? Why does he dress like that? How did that happen? It's not real. (laughs) 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 
Uh, and beyond, beyond that, you know, you're dealing with characters that do not really exist on paper. They're real in that context. And I always say they're much more real than we are because they have much longer lives and more people know about them than know about you or I. But at the same time, we get people coming into superhero comics and saying, well, what, why does the power work? And how can Scott Summers shoot those beams? And what's the science of that? It's not real. <laughs> there is no science. The science is the science of anything can happen in fiction and paper and we can do anything so I always find it really weird that adults come into fictional worlds and their first obsession is to make sense of them because we already got the real world why do you want fiction to be like the real world we've got the real world <laughs> you know and fiction can do anything so why isn't it why do people say let's ground this or let's how do we make this realistic you can't make it realistic because it's not <laughs> you know and so basically Batman is 75 years old <laughs> And Robin is 74 years old, you know. <laughs> but they never grow old and because they're different from us. They're paper people. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, you, you guys just had, heard what Grant Morrison had to say. Would you, paper people. <laughs> initial takeaways from that. Uh, let's start with him. Um, I agree for the most part. I, uh, I definitely think that there's a lot of, like, the comic book guy slash parents basement syndrome guy that's trying to read too much into a comic or the world behind it but also at the same time i do think like it's the same as writing any other type of story where if you're going to build or build a world there's rules that you should have go with it that you have to follow sam i am very much with grant morrison on this one um I don't know how many times in the past when comic book movies were really goofy, like Batman and Robin, when I read a complaint and said, that wasn't real enough, that was just stupid, that was so hokey. And I'm like, you realize the movie was made for 10-year-olds, right? Like, at some point, this is supposed to be a form of escapism. And the problem now when movies like The Dark Knight Rises and X-Men 50 or whatever come out is they complain that it's too real. These costumes are all black. That's too realistic. Where's the fantasy? And it's kind of like, uh, you can't have your cake and eat it. But complaining about uh, Wolverine not wearing yellow in the movies. Exactly. It's like we went from this is too goofy to this isn't goofy enough. This isn't just like the comic book. So, I mean, to to kind of bring it into perspective, though, I, I, you have to know what your audience is. Who are you writing to? If you're writing to a bunch of 10-year-olds, then the sky's the limit. If you're writing for a bunch of, you know, uh, highbrow adults that are wanting great literature, then obviously you have to base yourself in as much reality and science as possible. But if that's the case, the person that you're writing it for probably has got a pretty dull life. Well, one thing that I would like to kind of take this first part of the conversation into is... A huge complaint of the comics industry at large, and you as the listener are wanting to make comics that fit into today's comic industry, so this applies to you. And it applies to us as people who are trying to make comics in this comic industry is we've kind of got the current comic readers. Like, they're going to read comics. But we want to grow our piece of the pie when it comes to entertainment. So when trying to grow your piece of the pie and expose our beloved, you know, medium to other people, does the realism question come into play? What do you guys think? No, well, no, notice the silence. Out. I was notice the silence. Obviously, this is a difficult question. So it does actually require some thought, and which is the purpose of this podcast. So. Let's go ahead and uh, we're going to pin down Sam. Oh, uh, again, I just think it's a, you need to know your uh, your audience. And I think a mistake that people in anything make is trying to capture the attention of everybody. You know, you can't please everybody all the time, but you can please some of the people some of the time. You know, if you're going to make a comic book, know that you're making it for comic book readers. If you want something that's going to transcend mediums and also get people that are into, say, movies to like your comic book, then go make a movie, not a comic book. And so with that comes Can understanding. Can you afford to be that narrow-minded, though? Uh, no, but at the same time, you have to understand, if you're making a comic book, you're going to have a certain demographic that's going to make up your market share, and that's who you're writing to. But we're talking about growing that market share. 
But again, there's only going to be a certain amount of people in that market. Yeah, but I guess what I'm really trying to say is, hey, you, guy on the street corner, you who've seen TV, you've seen movies, you've read books, you don't read comic books. You're wrong. Comic books are great. Right. And that's what I'm Come over here. And let us show you how comic books are great. Right. Where is that line of realism that needs to be for the person you're trying to draw in to uh, comics, you know? And, I mean, especially they talk about the uh, growing the female audience, you know? And I love nothing more than reading about, you know, female characters or creators who are women, things like that. And it's... But it seems to be kind of a barrier. I don't know if the realism is the barrier, but there's a barrier that keeps us from breaking out of that, you know, the Simpsons guy niche. Mm-hmm. I just... Again, it's it's knowing your reader. Because um, if I'm a guy that doesn't read comics, you know, and I came up and I said, hmm, Batman swings from buildings... Must be strong. Is a mentor to Robin. Must be older. How old is he? And Grant Morrison tells me, Well, it doesn't matter. He's 70, 75 years old. I'm like, What? He's, he's 75? He must be the most in-shape 75-year-old I've ever heard of. I mean, is that an acceptable answer to a newcomer? No, but I, I don't think Grant Morrison would realistically tell someone in that situation that Batman is 75. Oh, I point. don't think so either. But the fantasy element is that he can give a vague answer. He doesn't have to say exactly. He's actually 32 years old. He can say, well, he's a male between the ages of this to this, and that'll seem realistic to the person that he's that he's telling you to. Well, could he have another answer? And let's put it this way. Well, he's a man who is, you know... Older than a certain age, but possesses these physical qualities. Right. Then it doesn't matter. Right. You know, really how old he is. It's like, hey, he could be a 50-year-old who is a gym rat that constantly mm-hmm. just works out his body. Or or he's a 25-year-old that just finished all of his training and he does this. But I think that... There is a realism aspect that people are expecting in there. Yeah, I think uh, there's there, there's there's a bit of a difference between, say, the comic book that the lister of our podcast might be creating and Batman, though. Batman's been around for a long time, so he's a timeless icon. Right. So I think at some point you might be able to afford to fudge the line of realism, but if you're like just starting out it might be more beneficial to be a little more realistic. And that's what I want to talk about because the people who are listening to the podcast and ourselves are creating new characters, mm-hmm. you know? So if we're going to create this extensive backstory where this character found relics during world war two, and they're also now in present day, 2013 kicking butt on a physical level, mm-hmm. How do you work that out? It it seems to the average comic book reader, they don't care. There's like comics accepted. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like obviously he was an archaeologist during that time or obviously he was an engineer during the 1960s and now he's still the same age. It reminds me of Bart Simpson. Mm-hmm. How long has Bart Simpson been in 4th grade or whatever grade he's right. been in? <laughs> you know, and he's had countless years of adventure. But if you're a Simpsons fan, you're like, who cares, yeah. you know? But if you were a newcomer to The Simpsons and you watched season one and you watched season 16, how many times has this guy flunked? <laughs> you know? Where do we find the happy medium of injecting some sort of realism and just saying, well, comics are comics? Well, I think an interesting, like, if we're going to go back to the comics, like, let's take a look at Captain America. Captain America was created for World War Two. At right. some point, they decided to freeze him for 20 or 30 years to thaw him back out to being in the Avengers. And he's been unthawed way longer than he was ever frozen. But nobody stops to think. It's like, okay, well, if we froze him to make it seem like he's not going to be an old man at this time period, why are we not caring that he's not an ancient old man now? 
Sam, what do you think? Uh, I think it comes down to the genre. Um, the beautiful thing about comic books now and their acceptance is that you don't have just the superhero genre. You know, you, earlier, maybe before the podcast, she said something about uh, The Walking Dead. You know, I, I probably would not think twice about you know whether or not I want to read that book because I can tell you I wouldn't. I'm not a fan of the show. I've never watched it. I have no hard feelings towards it. But a book about you know zombies, not my thing. Well, and Just, go ahead and finish your thought, and then remind me to say what I want to say about The Walking Dead. I, I guess the way I look at it is with genres, it's almost like a big. Each one is its own little party, you know. And it's like to me, the superhero genre. The person that walks in and goes, this isn't realistic enough. Show me the science behind how Superman flies. It's like, you know what? Thanks for pooping all over our party and trying to ruin it. Get out of here and go to a party that you fit into, you hipster douchebag. <laughs> but that's the cool thing about comics now, though, are if you're someone who thinks that you need science shoved down your throat and you need everything to be real, there's probably a genre for that. And that's great. And then reality is going to mean a ton for that genre. And then there's some like the superheroes where the people that are reading that they don't want the science behind it. They want the escapism. They want fantasy. They want stuff that's just outrageous that they can go into and pretend that they're that for that 30 minutes that they read the book. So I really think, you know, depending on which one you're adapting to, the element of reality you need is going to vary. Well, uh, the thing I was going to say about the walking dead is, you know, zombies, not real, obviously. Right. So, <laughs> real, as far as we know, you think. Realism might be a bad term for this, but another or another couple words that we could use for it is canon and continuity. Yeah. You know, it's like if you're writing The Walking Dead and you start off and you've got, you know, the crawlers and the walkers and things like that, and then halfway through The Walking Dead series, you know, issue 50 zombies start running around well that doesn't fit the realism of the walking dead right mm -hmm. zombies were lurching creatures that were slow and kind of hamstrung and you know people that now again comics comics fans seem to be forgiving so if that happened they might be like whoa new development in the walking dead you know but another broader audience might say what happened what is going this doesn't fit the canon or continuity of what's going on so same thing we talked a lot about ages in the first few minutes of the show but that's breaking not necessarily realism it's breaking canon and continuity like how could batman have been a detective in the 30s and also still a physically capable man in the 2000s you know that's right. more of a canon and continuity question than a than a realism question you guys agree with yeah, that there was an interesting i don't even i don't it's been a long time since i've heard the uh the conversation or uh read the article but it's like one of the things when people are talking about like you know these comics have been around for like 30 years 40 years 50 years but uh there's nothing to say that 30 or 40 years have passed in the comic book mate like they were talking about they were this was actually in relation to batman it's like well all these stories i mean technically batman hasn't necessarily been around that long in his world and right. maybe it's only been right. like eight years uh, okay. that's what i meant by the genre thing i think that the fans that go into superhero genre i mean i know at eight years old when i was reading these stories i understood that the comic book printed in the 60s and the book i was reading in the 90s didn't actually follow that yearly path. I understood that what I was reading, maybe four years had passed. Like you know, Bart Simpson. Year. Yeah. You know, like, I, I think the people that come with the certain genres, they, they're in on the joke. I guess that's a better way of putting yeah. it, is they get it, how continuity works and how it doesn't work. The, the thing I like to equate this to, since we have some history with it, is professional wrestling. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up, because that's what I was about to bring up. <laughs> I always felt that, like... One of the things that that starting you know that started to lead to the to wrestling's demise was the internet fan that took it too serious. You mm -hmm. know, it's like one thing I can't stand is whenever I'm sitting with someone that doesn't really get wrestling, that's only watched it a few times, and they go, "Oh man, that wouldn't happen in a real fight in UFC. This would happen." Da da da. And I'm like, "Yeah, I get it. The fans watching it get it that it's not a real fight. That's what makes it fun." But what really, that wasn't what has killed wrestling. What's killed wrestling is the hardcore fan that wants to overanalyze everything and say, you know, 
this wrestler shouldn't have done that because when he threw that clothesline, he could have ducked underneath it and tripped it, and he would have done this and done that and done this, so this made no sense, so I'm not watching it anymore. And it's like, you're really taking the fun out of it. And the fun is the reason that the majority of the people watched it for so long. And that's what I kind of feel with the superhero genre. Sometimes people tend to overthink it and want to take the fun out of it. Well, here's here's another thing, okay? So I remember watching the first x-men movie the first actual like oh my gosh i can't believe they made x-men to right. a movie this mm-hmm. is awesome and they're getting on the blackbird or whatever and they this is the first time they're actually donning their x-men costumes mm-hmm. you know and wolverine says something along the lines of seriously these like things? this is what we're wearing and cyclops says what would you prefer yellow spandex and that was a great moment for the fanboys. They were like, ho, 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 ho. Right. But when I was sitting there, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I, right. I kind of would because I want to see Wolverine on the big screen. But if I actually saw them dress Wolverine on the big screen in his same comic book costume, would I have been satisfied? No. <laughs> Probably not. And the people in Hollywood were smart enough to know, dude, if we put these people in the same costumes they're in in the comic, we'll be laughed out of town. We'll be laughed out of every movie theater. Why is that? Why is it acceptable in comics and not acceptable in movies? And the last thing I'm going to say is, why is the -the over-the-top performances in wrestling accepted in wrestling but not accepted in Let's say action movies. All right. You know, why can John Cena be popular in a movie called The Marine where he wears regular clothes, but where he comes out and wears his, you know, knee length shorts and his tank top and chains or whatever and acts like a goofball for all intents and purposes. If you put his same outfit into the movie The Marine people would be like why the heck is he dressed like oh, yeah. that you know so let's take those two parallel worlds cuz they're exactly the same mm-hmm. pro wrestling and comic books are exactly the same when it comes to realism mm-hmm. why don't those work and where do you draw the line if you're a creator oh again it comes down to uh it comes down to demographic and pro wrestling the uh all right, let's put it this way. The movie that John Cena is in, The Marine, is going to reach a much broader scope of demographic. You're going to have probably more adults than what typically watch pro wrestling. You're going to have people that probably don't watch pro wrestling at all that are just wanting to see, you know, a good movie. And so you have to have certain elements of reality so that they get it. <laughs> and wrestling... Wrestling is all about fun. So the people that are watching it, they get that they're in on the joke. They understand that what they're watching isn't real. They understand that it's not supposed to be real. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to have all these comical elements to it or all these uh, this theatrical side that you wouldn't see in real life in a UFC fight or in a boxing match. And so, you know, in wrestling, the audience is built into knowing they're in on the joke. Well, in the movie, not all those people are there that are in on the joke. If that makes much sense. It does. Now I want to pose another question to you. How does the movie Kick-Ass get away with it? Uh, Because the demographic it's going into is so closely associated with the comic books. Do you really think that? That it's just going to... That only people that read Kick-Ass, which is probably the... In the thousands is going to translate no, I, to the millions. No, I don't mean the kick-ass comic book specifically. I'm just saying like the demographic that would read comic books. I, I bet if you went I, through and looked at the demographic of people that watched the movie Kick-Ass, they're probably more than likely to have read a few comic books in their life and played video games. I'm just saying, why didn't they change Kick-Ass's armor to dark green and hard, you know, composite carbon fiber? And- I, I think if you look at the number of people that actually watched Kick-Ass, it's probably much lower than what you think. I, well, I, here's, here's my thought about Kick-Ass. Kick-Ass is not a serious movie. They don't. They're they're not trying to pull off the same thing with Kick Ass that they do with, say, Captain America or the Avengers or something like that. So, I would Kick Ass is a lot more campy, so yeah. they can get away with and having more cartoonish. Why, that's probably why outfits. the sequel failed. <laughs> did it fail? Yes, because uh, the reviews I saw it didn't fail. It probably was an awesome, but I'm just saying financially. Financially, it was considered a bit of a bomb. 
Okay, so um, go back to the first one, though. I'm just wondering why they made that decision. You know, because it's almost like making John Cena in the Marine the exact same John Cena from the WWF. That's the decision they made with Kick-Ass. Uh, you know? I'm like, all for it. I'm, I'm glad that they made Kick-Ass the way they did. And it could be, too, because they understand that there is a much larger base market for movies like that now than there was in the past. Yeah, I think that's a huge part of it. But uh, just the fact that the growing... I don't want to say anti-realistic, but just more broad-minded audience takes to it. But in my opinion, when I was thinking about what Grant Morrison said, it all came to, you know, strip away the fanboy, like completely strip them out of the equation. It's about imagery. Mm. Okay. So I was thinking about that Wolverine thing. What would you prefer? Yellow spandex? And it's like, no, most people wouldn't prefer that goofy, you know, in the cartoon it looked cool, in the comic it looked cool. For some on a reason. Grown man. <laughs> yeah. But if they saw it on a real person, why would that look goofy? And uh, I thought to myself, I would be ashamed to show that outfit on a grown man to someone. But then I started thinking about books, and it's like, have I ever felt ashamed about a science fiction or a fantasy novel or even a superhero novel? Because they do adaptations of the X-Men and Superman and Batman in novel form. Have I ever been ashamed to hand that novel to someone? No. I've never been. If I wanted to say, this is a good book, this is a good science fiction book, this is Ender's Game, you should read this. I've never been. I've never been ashamed because there's aliens. You know, it's different when you don't have specific visuals in front of you, though. Exactly, and that's the point: is the imagery, right? Because when I hand that novel over, I know I might have pictured a twelve foot mucus dripping alien, Mm -hmm. but this person might picture a seven foot dry skinned humanoid alien, right? They've it's all to, about yeah. imagery. They've you been know? to their own reality, to what they accept is real. And that's why you get the it's, generic X-Men exactly. outfit. Because exactly. they just bend, okay, well, I can accept a person wearing a militaristic uniform, and now whatever powers or personality they have, I will just extrapolate within my own imagination. That's why even to the fanboy to this day, is you could have a comic book that's translated perfect to a movie, and then you go online and read reviews, and the fanboys are constantly, this was this was too goofy, this wasn't real enough, this is too goofy, this wasn't real enough, is because even with the comic books, when they're given specific imagery, they still form that to their own reality, to where in their head they have a certain way they portray these characters that is just distinct to their own individual idea of what this character is like. And so when they see Hollywood's version of it that is specific, that says this is Hollywood's way of showing you the X-Men, it doesn't fit that idea they've always had in their head, and so they're not going to be happy with it. Now, here's the other question. Do you think that comics has gone wrong in trying – and this is the real issue of our podcast because we're comics creators. Do you think comics has gone wrong in trying to make these older characters or newer characters more quote-unquote realistic and grounded instead of – whatever costume they want to draw or whatever power they want to draw or whatever, you know, thing they want to imagine. Instead, it's like, hey, we used to have Rogue who was, you know, in this green spandex suit and big hair-sprayed hair that, quite frankly, when I was a kid, I thought that looked really cool. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And now, instead, we're going to get the Rogue with the droopy hair and you barely get the white sliver of hair yeah. if you're lucky yeah. you know what i mean and last i saw she wore a hood over yeah her head. and <laughs> she well i'm not just talking about the movies i'm talking about the comics but you That's would never you would never see her looking like a superhero anymore because back then she looked like a superhero she right. was ripped you know and she was flying around and she was kicking you know what but now, no more. Rogue has been so neutered, if, right. if I can apply that term to her, you know. You could say spade. Yeah, there's two oh, ways. There we go. <laughs> I think there's two ways you got to approach that. Number one is that because comic books have been around for so dang long, uh, the big companies feel like they have to appease the audience that's grown up with the character. 
which are going to be our age and older. So there's a certain element of reality they have to have because they know that we're smarter than we were when we were 10 years old. We and are. certain things well, we can what figure about out. The but other people? That's, that's the second part of this is I truly believe that the, the kids nowadays, these young generations coming up, are more intelligent than we were because they have access to more knowledge. Through the internet and social media, they have access. Well, they're more well-informed. They're, they're definitely more well-informed, and so they're not as naive as our generation was. And so there's certain things in a comic book world that they won't accept, and there's certain things that I think fantasy-wise they don't care about whether it's real or not. But I do think because the cert- there's a certain level of naivety that's not there with that generation that we had that the comic book writers can't get away with saying, well, let's just skip over that because they're naive little kids. They're not quite naive kids a little more. They might be the same age. But they're not coming up with the same, you know, attitude and the same naiveness that we did. So let's try to ground this, okay? Because this is supposed to be a podcast for people who want to make comics. And we are three guys sitting around who want to make comics. So I've come up with a new character. What extent of powers do I give her as a writer or him as a writer, whatever this new character is? And how do you interpret that in a drawing based on your, you know, finger in the wind to mm-hmm. test what direction the realism current is blowing? There's only one direction. <laughs> That's You're out of here. <laughs> You're out of here for saying <laughs> But in all seriousness, because let's take our own work, okay? We wanted to come up with a ninja type character. Mm-hmm. Now we knew we couldn't just put on the medieval Japan trappings of a ninja, which is basically, you know, clothes all in black, very simple fabric, and a mask and, and whatnot. And we wanted to come up with a new look for a modern ninja. Do we come up with a ninja who is, you know, lit by a black light and has purple shining, you know, this and that, which would look great in a comic, which would look fantastic. It would be that Wolverine yellow spandex. Right. Or do we feel constrained by mass media into comics saying we need to make this more realistic? Right. Well, there's, there's a big factor you're leaving out here, and that is... Do you want to tell what you think is a cool story, or do you want to make something that's commercially successful? Because that's going to dictate a lot of what you do visually and storytelling-wise. Right. Well, you do have to think about both things at the same time, though. It's like... Because for it to be commercially successful, you have a much broader demographic that you have to be able to appeal to. If you're just going, hey, you know what? I just want to write what I think would be an awesome story. You've got one person to appeal to, and that's yourself. I completely agree. A garage band that constantly so and so sold out, and the ones that go, you know what? I want to make a damn good living off of making music. So guess what? I'm going to have to write stuff that's commercially successful. It might not quite be true to myself. It might not be what I think's the coolest thing. But it's not just me that's buying my music. It's you know millions of teenagers. So when it comes to storytelling or comic books, you know, that makes a big difference. Oh, that's a really good point. I mean, if you are just trying to appeal to the superhero audience, slapping a cape on your character is mm-hmm. fine, you know. But if if you're trying to apply to a noir detective who has superpowers, putting that noir detective in spandex and a cape might alienate the noir audience. Right. It'll capture the superhero audience, right. but not the uh, not the noir audience. So, again, realism. Where do you guys? Where do you, Sam, as the artist, draw the line? Uh, I guess it depends on how uh, how thorough that the the writer describes the character to me, or the direction that they're going with it. Um, not just character creation, but also action. Because, uh, I mean, you could bring a million things into realism, like physics, you know, things like that. Like, 
how can this person jump that high? Do right. they have a superpower to jump that right. high? Were they trained to jump that high? Yeah. Were they naturally born with the athletic gift to jump that high? Right. Well, again, that's why you got to know. Do you drive yourself nuts with that? You have, I mean, well, no. I guess you just you got to know the overall tone the writer's trying to get at. Is it comedy? If it's comedy, then we can throw a lot of reality out the window. Is it satire? If that's the case, things can be largely overblown. If it's dramatic. Well, if it's dramatic, then I'm going to have to base this on a ton of reality. So if there's scenes of somebody getting their, you know, uh, face sliced with a katana, you know, if it's... if it's <laughs> Never. That would never yeah, happen. If it's satire, I might draw, you know, the face blowing open and, you know, there's bones underneath and you see blood flying everywhere. Where if it's supposed to be more dramatic, you know... That's going to make people laugh. I wouldn't draw a katana going through somebody's head like that. I would keep it as subtle as I could with making the impact that we need to tell. If it's comedy, you know. You You know, actually, I think this is a perfect place because you're kind of bridging in a new territory for us to break for our sponsor. And then we'll come back to this discussion. All right. Uh, the Show Me Comic Cast is sponsored by Audible.com, in case you didn't know that already. Uh, Jordan uses it. I use it. Sam doesn't, but that's because he doesn't believe in books without pictures. Otherwise, he'd be out of a job. Uh, but we're big fans of Audible. We're glad to have the sponsorship because we think you'll love Audible, too. My recommendation today is The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Uh, Stephen Pressfield is an internationally best-selling author who wrote The Legend of Bagger Vance and Gates of Fire. Uh, War of Art is basically about the creative mind and overcoming resistance. It's a motivational book of overcoming creative blocks and procrastination. Uh, being an author, Pressfield's uh, real-world real examples in the book sorry, uh, primarily focus on writing. But the lessons that you can take away from the book, uh, it can pretty much apply to anything, whether you're a writer, illustrator, uh, letterer, carpenter, doesn't matter. Uh, but it's a good book. It has great reviews online. You've probably heard it recommended before, so I'm recommending it now. Uh, you can pick up this book for free if you visit www.audibletrial.com slash showmecomics and start your 30-day free trial. Uh, the book isn't very long. It's just under three hours. You're probably asking... Tim, why should I waste my free credit towards a book that's not even three hours long? The last book you recommended was over 40. Um, well, here's why. Being under three hours, this is an audio book you'll likely revisit several times for inspiration. I've had it for six months. I've listened to it twice. I'll probably listen to it again come January once I'm firing up the old creative engines again. So I recommend to you again and to Sam and Jordan, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Uh, so yeah, visit www.audibletrial.com slash showmecomics, start your 30-day free trial, download The War of Art. All right, well, now that we've heard from our sponsor, Sam, you were mentioning genre, basically. You mentioned comedy, satire, drama, all that. And what I wanted to get into was, with our older comic, if you're a newer newcomer to this podcast, we've discussed before how... The, our latest release is kind of a reiteration of a comic that we tried out when we were young men and didn't know what we were doing. It's a retcon. Yeah, basically a retcon. Um, and I remember a few years ago when I was in the writing stages of rebooting our comic, I brought in an outsider and gave him the old comic and said, hey, I want you to read this and just kind of tell me what you think. And I showed it to him. And and keep in mind, this story is supposed to be kind of like a hack and slash, you know, adventure story. I gave it to him, and he read it. And he had no prior knowledge, and he handed it back. And I said, well, what were your impressions? And he looked at me, and he said, you know, it was an interesting story, but I got distracted by all the silliness. Mm Mm-hmm. And that really took me aback because I knew a lot of the mistakes storytelling-wise that I had done, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't expecting him to say that. And I'm like, silliness? (laughs) What are you talking about? You know? And then I sat down and I looked back and I thought, wow, in in a lot of parts, this story shifts from almost comedic writing and silly imagery to... Oh my gosh, violent. Right. This is real violent, violent, but silly, 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 funny, silly, hack slash, hack slash, hack slash. Mm-hmm. And that's another motivator 
for me when I went back and looked up that Grant Morrison thing was where does the place in realism and comics come from? Oh, yeah. Because if you look at it, you think kind of like we used to do wrestling shows. It was like, let's just throw in the silliness and the extreme action and mix it all together. Does that always work in wrestling? No, it doesn't work in anything. you got to set a tone and stay consistent with that tone. All right, so tell us about that, Sam. Uh, well, to go back to the first book, um, you know, a, a huge mistake that Jordan and I made is we never actually talked about what the tone of this was going to be. Um, you got to realize that every project Jordan and I have worked on since we were in cat's class and, you know, junior high together was some form of comedy satirical always funny at the expense of someone else type stuff so i thought that's what we were going for in that book um in fact there there was a scene i remember telling jordan at one point i said you know what i, I think we need more just filler stuff we need something like our family or her uncle mm -hmm. or something and so he wrote a scene where the uncle is <laughs> meeting up to go out on a date with one of the teenagers now that in itself is already kind of goofy but because of the tone that I thought we were going with, the artwork and the way that I drew, you know, certain situations. For example, he told me the uncle's walking down the sidewalk. She catches him, whatever. Well, of course, the way that I drew the uncle, the clothes that he were wearing were way over the top. I mean, he's supposed to be a gangster in this story. He was I, dressed like John Cena. Yeah, John he, he was dressed with like, you know, <laughs> Not to look like Marine. one of these. Yeah, like uh a, a thug or something and again it's because i didn't understand the tone we were going for i thought that we were going for comedy and satire and so whenever well, I would... and i remember that scene too the girl was supposed to be like man i found this really cool guy you know <laughs> and the, the point was supposed to be the she's like oh well typical you you know finding some guy around school and then she sees this older guy come down the street but it's her uncle. <laughs> and it was supposed <laughs> right. to be like, shame. Right. You it's know? Like, and the story, it's like, that's hilarious. I mean, it well, fits. It, it's sad. <laughs> you know, <laughs> really? Because it's like, not only am I ashamed that this girl who's in my school is into older dudes, the older dude is my uncle. <laughs> right. And my uncle is obviously a social deviant. Right. <laughs> you know, but that's pretty like, gross. It, but it fits what the character would do in the context of the story. You could see the character doing something like that, but even that's kind of comedic. And so it's like Jordan takes something already that's kind of a silly idea, and then yeah. I take it overboard with what the uncle was wearing. And then, of course, the character waves her arms and says, hey, up in here. You know, and there's, right. also, there's also when she sees him, it's like, oh, he's so dreamy, and her eyes are hearts yeah. like, it's an, it, like it's an anime. It was very manga-esque yeah. in some parts of that. And in other parts, it was not, like I remember. That's, but that's where we failed, and that kind of goes back to what I said earlier about trying to, you know, you trying to please too many people all the time. Is <clears throat> we went from you know ultraviolet gory to dramatic to funny to satire back to crazy gory then dramatic, and it's like because we mixed way too many things into the ingredients. Is nobody would like the way it tastes, and I think that's where realism really comes sure. into play. Is and to dial this back down from movies and everything, and you, you're just trying to make comics. An example that I saw in that old comic that we were talking about is one character's hair was this, like, super spiky, long hair. And in a lot of panels, it looked like Sonic or Sonichu for you internet trolls out there. But it was very much just like these huge jetting pieces of hair that came out of the head. But then when stuff started to get violent, it's like the hair got more real. It got very short. It got close into the head. Mm -hmm. And it's like, wow, we're really mixing two very different feelings. And it, it's not like the scene or the story split, you know. Or maybe they did. Maybe I was too goofy in some of the parts. But it was very between the writing and the art, so mismatched that right. you didn't know what was going on. You're like, am I reading this thing where the character is kind of over the top, i.e. professional wrestling? Or am I reading a drama where it's supposed to be real, more like, you know, Goodfellas or something like that, where the violence inflicted is supposed to make me feel bad? Because... In pro wrestling, is the violence inflicted most supposed to make you feel bad? 
Not always. <laughs> no, most of the time it's not. Most of the time it's like, yeah, do that to the other guy, mm-hmm. you know. But in Goodfellas, it's like, wow, look at these creeps. Yeah. You know. So very, two, it's violence and it's violence. It's wrestling. It's Goodfellas. But it's one feeling and another feeling, even though it's the same thing. So when it came to our old comic, it was like, it's over the top. In one way, it's over the top in another way, but when you boiled it down, it was like those weren't supposed to be the same over the top in two different scenes. Mm. Right. Uh, I think a better way to go with this, and I know this gets a bit more philosophical, is just... No, it's good. Uh, how do you know that anything is real in life? It's it's off of collective past experiences. Like, for example, I'm sitting at this table, and there's a, a beer bottle in front of me. And I look at that, and I go, well, how do I know that that's really a bottle? You know, yeah. How do I know that this is glass? it against the table make it maybe it makes a certain sound but i only know that from my past point of references because i know what glass sounds like i know what glass feels like but without me actually taking some sort of test how do i know that this isn't just some form of brand new plastic that makes a certain sound and i assume that it's glass so realism what we view as real is just a collection of past experience and consistency so if you take a superhero book and let's say that in every single issue that you read people can fly and nobody in the book questions their ability to fly the average person just goes wow we marvel at that they can fly that's, that's great. how i felt about the x-men cartoon characters. as long as nobody in the in the book questions how do, are they able to do this how are they do that we can accept that as real whereas if you get one story where a person says hmm how do they make that happen that doesn't make sense now you've just destroyed the realism of everything there. Thank God that you said that because this ties me back to one of my favorite authors and something that he teaches in his writing classes. And his name's Brandon Sanderson. And he said, in science fiction, people come up with like laws of robotics, you know, right. or whatever. But I'm a fantasy author. I'm going to come up with laws of storytelling. And he said, I have a law that deals with magic. He says, it doesn't. It doesn't really deal with magic. It's just storytelling. But listen to this, all right? His, this is called Sanderson's First Law of Magic. Mm-hmm. Sanderson's First Law of Magics. An author's ability to solve conflict with magic is directly proportional to how well the reader understands said magic. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what Sam just said. He said... If everybody in your universe can just fly without question, and then one character flies and is overanalyzed, you know, like, they can fly because of this, everybody who's reading it is going to think, well, how can the other people fly? Your ability to tell stories with your magic, which is actually your superpowers, or not even superpowers, your realism, this could be like... Well, how did the FBI agents always get approval from the chief to investigate this issue? Right. Well, they just always do. Right. You know? And then you have an episode where the FBI agents are stopped by the chief and they said, well, you didn't get permission from me and file the proper paperwork to blah, 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 blah. And then you're like, wait a minute. On the last 10 episodes, they never got proper permission to file the paperwork for blah, 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 blah. What Brandon Sanderson is trying to say is, like, whatever system you're working within has to have some sort of realistic rules. Mm -hmm. That doesn't have to mean it's real in the context of a real world. It has to mean it's real within your fantasy Mm -hmm. world. And I think at the end of this episode, the fact that, I mean, you listen to Sam, he came to that conclusion on his own. So we hold these truths to be (laughs) self-evident, you know. Uh, That's what you need to do. As a comic books writer, if Wolverine is wearing yellow spandex in a world that Cyclops is wearing blue spandex with a yellow belt that has 10,000 pouches on it. And those pouches, (laughs) mostly chewing tobacco, but and Rogue is wearing a green and yellow spandex outfit, also with belts with a billion pouches and a a short jacket that obviously is not going to keep her warm, but is going to accentuate certain parts of her body. We accept those costumes. Now, if we go to the movie. And they're all wearing those dull black, you know, very military kind of uniforms. And only Wolverine is wearing his yellow spandex <laughs> with black stripes. You've broken your rules of magic. 
if we think about it that way. Mm. And they're directly proportional to your ability to tell a story. Don't do that. That's where the line of realism has to be drawn. In our comic, if ninjas are dropping out of the ceiling everywhere, if they're scaling skyscrapers, and then we say, you know, and our main character could barely get over the second floor of the skyscraper before she fell off with her (laughs) primitive ninja equipment and had to take the elevator, you're like, how the heck did those other ninjas get up there? We've broken the line of realism. Mm. Hopefully, do you guys think that that helps our audience when it comes to the topic of realism? I sure. think so. Yeah. I mean, if we're going to tie Otherwise, that. Otherwise, I'd be like, God, what did we just spend the last 45 <laughs> minutes doing? How do you tie that back to what Grant Morrison said? Uh, about the age thing. I mean, seriously, if you never mention age. Right. They can be. They can be like. Yeah. Well, I said gonna... that novel. I hand it to somebody and it doesn't matter. About the imagery, because they'll picture whatever imagery they want. Mm -hmm. If I never acknowledge Batman's age, guess what? He's whatever age you want. If you're that 43-year-old reading comics, he's 43 years old. Exactly. If you're the 15-year-old who wants to be 21 and drink, he's 24 years old. He's the cool guy. As long as you keep it vague but not specific, the reader gets to fill in their own blanks, and that makes it real to them. But as soon as you say he was 25 at the at the time of the killing joke, everything that happens after the killing joke, it's like, well, he must be 26, 27, right. 28, 29. He must be 30. And then you have a comic that comes in. You're over the hill, Bruce Wayne. Here's your happy 40th birthday. What? No, he's 30. He can't have a 40th birthday cake. Right. What? This is broken. My mm. reality is broken. Wait, how many Christmases has he celebrated so far? <laughs> yeah, my storytelling with the magic that I know is broken. And I think you can completely consolidate that with what Grant Morrison said, yet still understand that you have to have some sort of rule set that you're going to put forward in your stories. Final thoughts. Well said. <laughs> I agree. And that's pretty, I think that's kind of what I alluded to at the beginning of the podcast when I said that I agreed with him. But if you're, get, if you're going to make a fantasy world or any kind of world to entertain people, you should have set rules and you should stick with them. But outside of that, then sky's the limit, especially if they can fly. Like Rogue, my favorite. Right. Ooh, la, la. Right. All right. So... With that said, on behalf of myself, Jordan, and Sam, we're Show Me Comics, wishing you the best in your creative endeavors. And if you want to find out more about my written word, you can go to the sky with thunder crashing down. And that's the only way you can find out about it. Except if you get on your computer and you enter www.showmecomics.com and that comes with a CS because we know how to spell... Or just go to the sky. And while you're there, at the real. make sure you pick up your copy, your copy of Hafu Graphic coffee. Novel. Pick up your coffee, <laughs> too. Pick up your, pick up your copy of Hafu. Pick up your copy of Hafu Graphic Novel. It's only $9.99 plus shipping and handling. And make sure if you're on Facebook right now, because you probably are, because you probably spend your entire life on there, like our page at facebook.com slash Hafu Graphic Novel. And if you like to tweet, send us a tweet. At Show Me Comics. 